Amen. Good to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17. And we're actually into the narrative, we're actually into the story of Elijah. I don't know how many of you, if uh, if you're interested in reading through this portion, there's still reading plans over there. I know some of you are reading through it, and then you're reading through it again. And uh, I'm reading now in my Bible time, uh, reading through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is a prophet right there at the end, at the end of the uh, uh, of the exile of of Judah. So uh, Israel has already been exiled, and just reading through that. Due to this study, I better understand what Jeremiah the prophet... In fact, in a couple passages, Jeremiah actually describes what happens in a severe drought. So, if you'll read through these portions of Scripture that are often hard to understand and mysterious to us, but if you will immerse yourself in them and and then pay attention in this lesson, I think you're going to better understand this area of the Bible. But here's what I want to begin with. I want to begin with the tension, uh, raising some tension. So think about this. Sometimes the obedient child suffers the consequences of their disobedient siblings. Did you ever experience that? Okay, yeah, Todd could, could testify of that. You know, two siblings throw a fit. But and ruin it for you, so you don't get to go to Worlds of Fun because they acted out. You don't get to go sledding. That was a lot of snow we had. You don't get to get ice cream. Sometimes a faithful worker suffers the consequences of unfaithful co-workers. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you have a treat or a privilege at on the job, and others abuse that privilege, and so the boss takes it away for everyone. Sometimes law-abiding citizens suffer the consequences of law-breaking citizens. You know, so you have a law and a lot of people are breaking it, violating it, so they crack down and they crack down on everyone or they tighten the law and you experience that. But it's not just in those times. Also, there's the tension that sometimes the people over us, our leaders, are disloyal, or disobedient, and God has to bring discipline to the whole country or nation because of that, and godly people within that nation still have to suffer the consequences. So, not too long ago, the leaders of our nation in the Senate actually voted down a law to prohibit infanticide. Remember that happening? Okay, here's a law to prohibit infanticide, and they vote it down. Recently the Christian leaders of the United Methodist Church who live outside of the U.S. had to stand up to the U.S. counterparts and vote to uphold the traditional biblical view of marriage. I mean, what a condemnation, what a statement on our country when the Christians outside of our country have to stand up and outvote the Christians in our country to uphold the biblical standards of morality. Well, here's my point. God's judgment, just those two examples, God's judgment is going to fall and already is falling on our country. And here's the reality. You very well may be a faithful, obedient Christ follower, but when that judgment comes on our country and is already falling on our country, we suffer the consequences. 
And so that's kind of a tension that I, I think you may already be feeling. I know I do. But let me bring it home a little more. Do you ever feel trapped? Do you ever feel trapped by the disobedience and rebellion of others? In other words, do you ever feel like you're having to deal with the fallout of God's judgment on others and you're not sure how long you can endure that? Do you ever wonder whether the Lord will protect you from the persecution of the ungodly and provide for you in times of judgment? Okay, And that's what we're here looking at in 1 Kings 17. So in your notes it says this, How does God's loyal remnant survive when judgment falls? It says in Proverbs, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. God judges nations for their sinfulness. And yet David said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can, what can the righteous do? And that's kind of where Elijah is, is here right now. So if you look in your notes, notice it says, relating with Elijah. Elijah is facing life-threatening consequences due to his loyalty to the Lord and disloyalty to others. So let's read 1 Kings 17.1. Notice what he's just done. He has just confronted the most powerful, the most successful, and the most sinful man in all of northern Israel. Look at 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord... The Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And up here, I th- I've got a picture here of the best. I mean, this is like a live shot of that happening. And so there's Elijah confronting Ahab, right? Okay, so now he, he confronts him and he predicts that. Now, that means two things. That means two things. Elijah's life is now in danger due to persecution and execution by Ahab. But it's also, his life is now threatened by starvation and dehydration due to the lack of rain. So the judgment is on evil Ahab, and yet, how is righteous, loyal Elijah going to make it And he just said, it's going to happen for these years. Now, we know that's at least two, but in reality, it ended up being three and a half years. How's this guy going to survive? How is God going to protect him? Why, you know, he could get, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? Who's going to protect me? Who's going to provide for me? How will Elijah escape Ahab's persecution and endure the Lord's retribution on his covenant people? So the answer is in, it begins to be answered for us in verses 2 through 7. So let's read the story right there out of your Bible. So look at it in your Bibles, 1 Kings 17, and let's read 2 through 7 and see what it says. So as soon as he addresses Ahab, the word of the Lord came to him. Now that reminds us right there that when he says rain won't come, except by my word, his word is really whose word? 
the word of the Lord because he's a prophet. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherif, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you shall drink of the brook and I have commanded or commissioned the ravens to provide for you there. And that's the key word, there. He's got to go to the right place, the place that the Lord directed him. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So it happened, after a while, that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And it's kind of like, duh, no kidding, right? Of course that's going to happen. But that's where the Lord sent him. So here's what I want to teach you this morning. I want to answer the question, how will the Lord provide for his loyal remnant in the worst of times? How is the Lord going to provide for me and you even in the worst of times? Times where his judgment on our nation for its immorality, its disobedience. We're not Israel. We're not a chosen nation. That's not the point. But if you read your Old Testament, God judges all nations. So how are we who desire to be loyal to the Lord, how are we, how is the Lord going to provide for us? So here's three, three principles I want you to look at. The first principle we learn from this passage is this. The Lord provides by the power of His sovereign word. By the power of His sovereign Word. If there's one thing you're going to learn reading through this passage, actually all of First and Second Kings, it is this. God provides by the power of His sovereign Word. If you look in this passage, it begins in verse 2 by the Word of the Lord coming to Him. And then... In verse 5, he went out and did according to the word of the Lord. Then, in verse 8, next week we're going to see, the word of the Lord comes to him again. It's all about the power of the word of the Lord. So look at verses 2 through 5. So the word of the Lord came to him saying, Then he commands the ravens, in verse 4, And then Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Let me make two observations. About this. First of all, it's this. Elijah represents God to his disloyal people. Elijah represents God to his disloyal people. So here is Ahab, who is supposed to be a godly leader, leading God's nation to worship the Lord. He's not, he's disloyal. He's the most sinful leader Israel has had up until this time. And Elijah is not just himself as a prophet, he's representing God to Ahab. Now, here's the impact of that. If, if Elijah represents God to Ahab, and God says, go east of the Jordan, leave this kingdom, what is happening to God's presence and God's word when Elijah leaves? Do I? It goes with him, exactly. So this is the significance of this, okay? Think about this. So 
Here's where he's telling, he's saying, here's Samaria, the capital, and he's going all the way over here. And by the way, this was his hometown. This is where we think that the brook Cherif is. All we know is that it's eastward. So literally, God called Elijah out of this area to rebuke the ungodly Ahab, but then he says, leave. The word of God is leaving that country. The presence of God is leading, leaving that country. He represents God. Now, why is this? What is that? Him suddenly showing up and then disappearing. What's that say to Ahab? It says, look, your sin separates you from me. Your sin separates you from God. You have ignored God's word, therefore I'm going to take God's word. Here's the reality. There's not only a famine in the land of bread due to the lack of rain, there's a famine for the word of God. And that's part of the judgment. Part of the judgment is a famine of the word of God. And you realize even in our country, God can produce a famine of the Word of God, even though we have probably more Bibles per capita than probably any other nation in the world. I don't know that. I'm making that up, but it's probably true. And you all, probably each individually in your home, own more of the Word of God. And yet there can be a famine of the Word of God in that God turns His uh, turns preachers into false prophets. He can turn people's hearts away from the Word of God. We may have a lot of Bibles. How many of us read our Bible this week? Don't raise your hand. That's the idea. And so, the power of God's Word is, it rebukes Ahab, and then God says, leave, because my presence and the power of my Word is leaving this. It's also meant as a punishment to Ahab. It's to remind Ahab, look Ahab, you're the most successful king on the planet. You're very, you, you are known throughout the world. You're rich. You're sitting high on your throne. But understand this, that you're, you're separated from me. And if you pursue this path, you will be eternally separated from me for eternity. Because, I mean, all of a sudden this guy comes... And puts his bony finger, I don't know if it's bony, I'm just making that up. Puts his bony finger in his face and says, "This no rain, and then he disappears. And Ahab's here left thinking about some things. And God wants him to think. He wants him to ponder the message of judgment that he just heard. And he wants Ahab to realize he's at the top of the world and yet he's powerless to lift God's judgment on his life. You can have all the power, but you can't make it rain. You can have all the power. The power is in God. The power is in God's Word. That's just pretty important. The purpose... But there's a second thing, a second uh, uh, observation I want you to make, and it's this. Eli, Elijah, Eli, Eli, Elijah represents the loyal remnant to God. He represents the loyal remnant to God. So remember, a prophet both represents God to the people, but he also represents the people before God. And so what's going on here? Over and over you read, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he obeyed. And that is the mark. That is the mark of God's loyal people. God's loyal people 
hear the word of the Lord, and then they obey the word of the Lord. It's really simple, isn't it? And so that's the idea. So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go. Listen, the way God is going to provide for you in times of judgment is through the power of his word as you receive it, place your faith in it, and obey it, even when no one else around you is doing that. And I'm telling you, that gets discouraging. When you're in the workplace and no one's even conscious of God or listening to God, and you feel all alone, it's hard. When you're in a, in a family situation, or in a marriage, where you're the one following Jesus, and the other, the other people in that family aren't, the pressure is on. When you're in the wor- workplace, when you're in school, it doesn't matter where you are. Increasingly, we are the odd people out. And like Elijah... We need to understand God's going to provide for us through the power of His Word, not our wisdom. Okay? It's through the power of God's Word. So look at 17, 2 and 5. The Word came and told him what to do, and what does he do in verse 5? So he went. All right? Now look at 8 and 10. We're going to see this next week. Verse 8. Then the Word of the Lord came to him, told him, Arise and go. And look at verse 10. So he arose and went. Look at 18, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after many days that the word of the Lord came, saying, go, verse 2. So Elijah did what? He went. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? God says, go. And by the way, Elijah doesn't ask questions. Elijah doesn't uh, like delay. God says, go. And so what does he do? Help me out. He goes. Okay? When God says speak, what does Elijah do? He speaks. When God says, go out into the wilderness in the midst of a famine, and somehow I'm going to provide for you, he goes out in the wilderness, and God provides for him. Isn't that fascinating? So, here's the deal. Elijah is not running away from Ahab out of fear. Now, he's going to do that later. He's human, just like us. Later, Jezebel's going to give him the stink eye and he takes off, right? But here, he's not running out of fear. He's leaving out of faith and obedience. God said go, and so he goes. So the first way God's going to protect us, the first way God's going to provide for us, the way God is going to enable us to persevere through the hard times that are already here and are only going to increase is by you and I being in this Word and realizing the power of this Word to provide and protect for us. So that's the, that's the uh, first thing I want you to see. So notice what he does. He grabs his provisions, he grabs his staff, and he seems to have a migraine there, and he takes off, okay? And so he's on his path, you know? Biblical pictures are funny. All right, here's the second way. Here's the second way God's going to provide for us, and it's this. The Lord provides by the providence of His sustaining love. The Lord will provide us, uh, provide for us by the providence of His sustaining love. Love. 
Sorry, I can't write these words up here for you. Providence is an important word. You say, why are you using that word? Well, because it, it is a, is an important theological word. It's a word you want to learn. It's a word you want to, a word you want to know. There, it's written right there in your notes. Now, notice, here's God's providence. Verse 3, turn eastward and hide yourself by a brook, which is east of the Jordan, and it shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded ravens to provide for you there. Until you get to this place that I have providentially prepared and sovereignly chosen, you've got to obey and get to that place to experience my provision. So let me give you a couple definitions of providence. Uh, so don't freak out about the, the, you know, understanding this. Read the definitions and think through it and realize how glorious the providence of God is. First of all, providence is the compassionate outworking of God's sovereignty, whereby all events are directed by Him to fulfill His purposes for His glory, but also for the good of His creation in general and for his own children in particular. So providence is a sovereign God graciously taking care of his creation and his children, specifically his children who are born again and know him. Look at that next definition. The providence of God is when the sovereign creator provides compassionate care for his undeserving creation, including his enemies. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about God's providential care for unbelievers because he makes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on even those that rebel against him. In other words, every one of us experience God's providence Every morning when you wake up and you're alive. Every time you take a... So let's all take a breath. (sighs) Okay? Guess what? That was God's providence. God graciously gave you another breath, another minute. And then when you think of how much, particularly in this country, how much He has graciously and undeservedly given us so much. We should be thanking God for His providence all the time. But, look at this, it goes on. But especially, He works all things together for good for His own people who love Him and are called according to His purpose of becoming more like His Son. You probably recognize Romans 8.28 in that. So, God's providence takes care of all of His creation, whether they love Him, believe in Him, God's providence took care of Ahab. God's providence enabled him to become successful. Okay? He didn't recognize it. He rebelled. Okay? But God, for His covenant people who know Him and love Him and are called according to His purpose, God will work all things in your life for the good of becoming more like Jesus. All right? Now, we don't like hearing that when we're going through hard times. We don't like hearing that when we're going through hard times. And it may not be the first thing you say to someone who's going through hard times. But I'm telling you, when you're going through hard times, it is the bedrock truth 
that says, no matter how hard this is, God is working it together for His glory, my good, and on the other side, I'm going to be more like Jesus. And that's what we should rejoice in. Okay? So that's providence. It's the doctrine that tells us that the world and our lives are not ruled by chance, by fate, or by luck. Instead, they're ruled by the will of God and the Word of God. Now, here is what God's the purpose of the Lord's providential provision. So I got a bunch of P's in there, but that's because that's what's in this passage. So here's the big idea, and then we're going to break it down and look at the fun parts of it in this story, because this is a great story. The purpose of the Lord's providential provision is this. God providentially provides for us, as His, His loyal people, a place of protection, a place of provision, and a place of preparation for those who are loyal to Him. Why does He do that? So that we will learn to persevere until His purposes are accomplished. So what this whole story is about, God's saying, look, I've got a place, and we're going to see in a moment, this is a place of protection. Where's Ahab? Over here. Where's Elijah going to be? Hidden over here. It's going to be a place of provision. Once he gets there, he's going to have what provided for him? Food by ravens, part of creation, part of creation, and water, part of creation. God is providentially using creation to provide for his prophet, but also we're going to see that this place is a place of preparation. Do you think Elijah wanted to be out there in the wilderness? No. Do you think he wanted to be supplied by a water supply that every day was less and less? Do you think he was really thrilled, as we're going to see in a minute, of getting fed by a bird that was declared unclean in the law. Okay, so we get all excited. Oh, the miracle, how cool. Listen, this, this isn't fun for him. And it's not easy for him. But I tell you what, he's going to be protected, provided for. He's going to be prepared for even greater, uh, greater feats for God and, and trials ahead. So let's take a look at it. This becomes, so here he goes, he, he's, he's following God's word, and this isn't easy. He's going into a place of the wilderness. Now, notice a couple things. First of all, he's headed to a place that it's going to look kind of like that. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's called a wadi. A stream, and what they are are uh, literally cherith means dug out. It's just an area in the in the in, in in the earth that has been naturally dug out. And when it rains, the water rushes through. And when it doesn't rain, no water rushes through. You've heard of some? How many have gone hiking, like in Arizona? Or there's areas in Colorado and Arizona that if you're not careful, if you're in a canyon during a rainstorm, you could literally drown. Because what is dry suddenly becomes a torrent of rain. So he's in this wadi that has water, but what's going on in the, in the land? A drought. So what's slowly going to be happening to this place? 
it's going to dry out. But notice, it's hidden, and usually these places also had caves, so he's living in a cave. If you remember, the book of Hebrews talks about God's faithful people in Hebrews 11, some hid in caves. That's a reference to him. Why? He's hiding. It's a place of protection. So the first thing I want you to see is that this is a place of protection. And what is this place? It's called the Brook Cherif east of the Jordan. Uh, east of the Jordan. The Jordan. The Jordan. Where is this place of protection? Well, in actuality, we don't know where it's at. We think it might be here, but that's the point. We don't know where it's at, and who else didn't know where it was at at that time? Ahab, you got it. It's a place of protection. You weren't going to go into this area and you weren't going to find somebody who's hiding in a cave. So it's a place of protection. And by the way, it's back in the east. Where was uh, Elijah from? It was the area that he was from. So he was familiar. Remember, he was a mountain man. Were you here for that lesson? I always think of you, Aaron, when I look at Elijah. Um, Or when I look at you, I think of Elijah. They should have had you. You would have had a better, you know, you would have fit better. So he's out in this mountain area. It's a place of protection. Um, And I've already described it. Okay, so that's what it looks like. Secondly, it was a place of provision. There was water there. It was a place of provision. The water of the brook and the food brought by the ravens. But what is this place of provision like? I've already told you, it is a temporary place. So here's what we like for God. We want God to lead us somewhere, and then we just settle in. You know, we, I'm going to get my sofa, I'm going to get my recliner, I'm going to get my fridge, I'm going to have my drinks here, God's providing the beverages. We're just going to settle in. And yet, in God's provision, there is constant... What's happening? Is it going up, or is it... It's constantly going down, which is a reminder of what? We don't trust in the provision. We trust in the provider. We trust in his word. And so that's pretty significant. Um, Also, what is the Lord providentially providing? Okay, I mean, this is pretty much probably what it looked like. Okay? Except it might have been a little more dramatic because these are ravens are scavengers, and so they would be bringing fresh kill or even live small animals, in which then uh, Elijah would kill the animal and then roast it and eat it. Here's what's interesting about ravens: ravens, first of all, ravens uh, ravens are one of the largest scavenger birds except for vultures and eagles are only bigger they're about two feet in length a little over two feet in length and their wingspan uh, could be um, or I probably got this backwards their their length was uh, well may no link their length was 24 inches and their wingspan was 15 and what's interesting about them is one, they were, is that right? That would not fly. I know, I I know I had it written wrong. And so I was like, I didn't want to go against what I wrote. So 22, 24 inches wingspan. Okay, 15 inches long. Got it? Big. I mean, they're just big. 
They're the biggest of the crow family, and only vultures and eagles are bigger. And they are found all over the world, but guess where they're found in the greatest number? Palestine, Israel. Okay? Also, what's interesting about them is even though they, they did eat, uh, uh, they would eat small animals, uh, when they came in, uh, think of Hitchcock's movie, The Birds, when they gathered in big, they were really kind of frightening, and they could even uh, tackle and attack and carry away a small child. Okay, so people didn't, these birds would, they would take prepared food, so if you were at a picnic, they'd love to take your prepared food. If you're sacrificing unto God, they would take your sacrifice off the altar. So, you know, he could have been eating pretty good. I mean, prepared meals could have been flying in there, okay? Also, what's interesting about ravens is they have the most varied diet of any bird. So it says that the, he brought bread, which is pictured here, bread and meat. Uh, that could also include uh, fruit, seeds. So this is, you know, God knows what he's doing because he knows his creation. And so that's what's happening. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Elijah is in the wilderness. What's in the Old Testament, who else had hung out in the wilderness for 40 years? Yeah, Moses and the people of Israel, right? And what did God give him, them? He gave them bread and meat. But he only gave them bread in the morning and meat in the evening, which were quail. He's getting bread and meat morning, and he's eating high on the hog, as my dad would call it. Um, Also, as we go through the story, this idea of God providing in the midst of of his judgment, of this drought... We're going to see provision comes up again and again. Next week, he's going to be provided for by a widow. But that widow is only going to have oil and flour, no meat. And then later, we're going to meet a guy by the name of Obadiah, who provided and hid a hundred prophets, and he provided them with bread and water. So we're supposed to re- be re- look and realize God is abundantly providing for Elijah. And He will do the same for you. But it may not look like you want it to. Alright? So, let me turn in your Bibles to Luke 12. Let me show you just one more passage. These ravens are not chosen by accident. There's a whole biblical theology of ravens in the Bible. Here's what you want to know. So as you turn to Luke 12, let's look at Luke 12. 22 through 24, I want you to realize that ravens are a symbol of God's judgment. And so, like, there's these verses in the Bible where it says, you know, I'm going, you know, God is going to bring judgment and this people is going to come and kill you and the ravens will pick out your eyes. Why do you think he's choosing ravens at this time in the life of Israel? He's remind. Listen, these ravens symbolize the whole purpose of this lesson. That in times of judgment, God can still provide for you. He takes the symbol of judgment on Ahab. Because, by the way, animals and people are dying right and left. And the ravens are feasting. And yet, the same symbol of judgment, God providentially uses out of His compassion to provide for His loyal people. Isn't that encouraging? 
So they're a symbol of judgment. Second of all, they're unclean. The whole nation is unclean. And Elijah is zealous for the Lord. But you know what? God can take the uncleanness around us and still provide for us if we'll remain clean before Him. So isn't that interesting? So here was the point. Ravens were unclean. You weren't supposed to eat them, but God said nothing about them providing food for you. So Elijah would have been wrong if he would have grabbed that dude and wrung its neck and ate it. But God's reminding you, listen, listen, everything can be unclean. Everything can be broken around us. But we don't have to give up. God can work in the midst of what is unclean. Can we get an amen on that? All right. And then, finally, ravens are a symbol of God's providential care. Look at Luke 12, 22. Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider what? The ravens. For neither, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them How much more valuable are you than birds? God, here in the, Jesus said that in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God who provides for the ravens is using the ravens to provide for God's people. Wow. How cool is that? Okay. So, we have a place of protection. We have a place of provision. But also, understand this. It is a place of providence. This is a place of providence. And what do I mean? It's the place God chose. It's a place in the midst of creation. There's a cave for him to to live in. Ravens are feeding him. A brook, a natural brook, is, is providing water. Now, here's what's interesting. When I say providence, I mean God gets to choose how he provides for his people. So as we go through this theme, as we study Elijah's life, and we go through this theme of God providing for us, it's interesting. Here, sometimes the Lord uses natural means. What are the two natural means? What? The creek and, and the birds. Sometimes He uses natural but unusual means. He, the birds are, the creek is totally natural and actually drying up. The birds are natural, but it's miraculous. It's unusual for ravens to be feeding you. They're supposed to be taking your food from you, not providing food for you. Also, sometimes the Lord uses human or mortal means to provide. So, next week, the word of the Lord's going to come and say, go to a widow. A human is going to do that. Obadiah hides a hundred prophets and provides bread and water. He uses another human being. And you know what's interesting about that widow and Obadiah? These same words of commissioning. Here, the Lord commissions the ravens. Next week, he's going to say, I have commissioned a widow to take care of you. The irony of that is, Widows are poor. Widows 
don't have anything. And yet I've commissioned a widow to... And Elijah doesn't say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to do that. What does Elijah do? He goes. We'll see that next week. All right. Sometimes God uses totally supernatural means. We're going to see in 1 Kings 19, when he's totally exhausted, totally wiped out, God's going to send an angel to have baked bread placed at his head. Sometimes the Lord allows his provision to change or come to an end but He will never abandon you. So what's going to happen to that creek? Well, the famine eventually, that creek is going to dry up. One day, one day He was there and He's like, there's not going to be anything tomorrow. And then what happened tomorrow when it dried up? The Word of the Lord came. So what, what am I trying to get you to see? Is God will never abandon you. He will providentially care for you, but you can't predict what it is. He chooses how to provide for you. He chooses how long it will last. He chooses what it will be. He chooses who He will do it through. You can't predict. You can't outguess Him. There's only one way to be provided for by the Lord, and that is to obey His powerful Word. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Finally, this is a place of preparation. This is a place of preparation. The Lord is teaching Elijah to persevere by learning to trust solely on him and his providential care and his sustaining love. Because you see, as he's drinking and the birds are coming, they're feeding him. There's no natural way he could have survived. But then one day, that happens. One day that happens. It's a place of preparation. So here's Elijah. He's out of sight of the world. Ahab can't find him. The world doesn't know where he's at, but God knows where he's at, and God provides for him. And it's in that place, when you're behind the scenes, when you feel like God has forgotten you, if you are obeying the Lord, understand this, He is providing for you. And He will do it providentially. Providentially. Third way God provides for us. And here's the application. The third way He provides for us is by the pathway of our submissive loyalty. By the pathway of our submissive loyalty. We've learned a lot of things about ravens. We've learned a lot of things about how God provides. But listen, Elijah doesn't get fed, Elijah doesn't drink unless Elijah submits and is faithful to the Word of God. Isn't that good? So here's a couple things I want you to see. This is the pattern of his life. I love this quote. Our obedience is an essential aspect of God's protecting grace. So even though God is sovereign and He provides, it's our obedience that enables us to experience that. Okay, so here, here, here's the pattern of his life, and this can be yours. Number one, receive the word of the Lord. Receive the word of the Lord. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one today. But you know what? You've got to receive it. The pathway of revelation. God provides 
through the pathway of His revelation. And when you have a Bible, you need to be like the Thessalonians and receive it for what it is, the Word of God, not the Word of men. The Word of God and not the Word of men. Number two, obey the Word of the Lord. Obey the Word of the Lord. The Lord provides through the pathway of submission. Not only revelation, but submission to that which you read. Matthew 6 is another place where Jesus said, Look to the birds! But then, what does He say? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. So, faith lets God rule in our lives. Number three, abide in the word of the Lord. Abide in the word of the Lord. The pathway of satisfaction. You can't help of, of, of thinking that daily bread comes to him without also thinking, without also thinking of the Lord's Prayer, which says, Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. And I can't help but think of Jesus in the wilderness who had all these rocks that looked like bread around him, and he, had, he was fasting, and he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And the devil said, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm just going to read this, but I won't. Number four, pray. Pray the word. Pray the word. The pathway of supplication. Elijah isn't just sitting there and saying, well, those ravens are going to come tomorrow. He's praying. He's praying, God, you promised to provide for me. I see this brook drying up, but Lord, I pray for my daily bread. I pray. So pray the word. And then finally... Adore the Lord of the Word. Adore the Lord of the Word. That's the pathway of devotion. Remember, he said, I have been zealous for the Lord. You know what? Elijah didn't care where he was as long as the Lord was being glorified and he was having fellowship with the Lord. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So, how can I ever possibly be this obedient? I mean, I just gave you five things to do, and you're like, how can I ever do this? Well, here's the good news, and here's the, the, the last idea of this lesson. Our place of protection and provision is a person. Our place of provision and protection is a person. The Lord provides by the person of His sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ, who promises to always provide for us in the worst of times. I want you to know this. Jesus was obedient in the worst of times. Amen? In the garden, in the wilderness, in the garden, and on the cross. Jesus became unclean like the ravens so that we might be cleansed of our sin. Anyone who dies on a cross is cursed and unclean. He took our sin. He became unclean to provide cleansing from our sin. Number three, Jesus suffered the judgment we deserved, but He took it in our place. See, listen, 
we're not so much Elijah, we're Ahab. We're the ones who stand condemned. But we can be Elijah. So don't get, you know, some of these biblical theology guys get all out of whack and say no one can be Elijah, you've got to be the sinner boy or the sinner girl. Well, guess what? Ahab could have been Elijah. But he didn't put his faith in the Lord, he put his faith in himself. Does that help? So Jesus suffered the judgment we deserved and he re- and, 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 and would have received if he had not taken our place. Fourth, Jesus rose having conquered our greatest enemies. Elijah's greatest enemy was Ahab, but guess what? Our greatest enemy is really death and the devil. Jesus conquered our greatest enemy for us. And fifth, Jesus reigns from the right hand of the Father to providentially provide for us and protect for uh, protect us even in the worst of times. Aren't you glad that He has all authority in heaven and earth? And when we believe in Him and are adopted into His family and submit to His kingship in our lives, He's got all authority to provide for us even as our country suffers the judgment of God. Good news? And then, finally, Jesus is coming again. And when He does, the worst of times is going to be over. Amen? And we get to enjoy a perfect king, King Jesus, ruling on a perfect world for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, as we reign with Him, He's going to offer the kingdom back to the Father and we enter into the new creation. Is that just exciting? So get your eyes on that. Get your eyes on Jesus, even in the worst of times, so that you can persevere by the power of His sovereign word, by the providence of His sustaining love, and by the pathway of a loyal submission. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged. And we can persevere. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. Thank You for revealing the story of Elijah. And Lord, help us to understand that You will provide for us, even in the worst of times. And I know some are going through some very hard times. And none of us know what a phone call could bring today or circumstances might change tomorrow. But what we know is you don't change. And so, Father, may we be in your word, not just to obey it and learn from it, but to adore you through it. And Lord, may we understand that the difficult circumstances are under your compassionate control and that we are not victims of fate, and luck and chance. But if we know you by faith in your Son, if we know you and are being obedient out of faith to your Word, we know that you are making us more like your Son. So I pray, Lord, that uh, we leave here encouraged, but also with hearts lifted up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.